This morning, I'd like you to take your Bibles, and first of all, I want you to turn to uh, several of the Gospels today, beginning in Mark chapter 15, and we're going to look at John, and also back in Mark, Mark again, concerning the death, the supernatural strength of Christ's death. It's not uncommon at this time of year for people to be making comments about the images that they come in contact with concerning Christ's death, Christ pretty much being on the cross and all the things that go with that. You hear people say it was terrible and sad that Jesus had to die the way he did. It was cruel and it was a violent death. No one can deny it. That it was a terrible and humiliating death. Even the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verse number 19 says, They kept beating his head with a reed, spitting on him, and kneeling and bowing before him. Often people go no further than these images. They leave Jesus helplessly, wallowing on the cross in some kind of utter defeat. Even bystanders at the scene of the cross shouted statements highlighting his weaknesses and his helplessness. While beside the cross of crucifixion, right there in Mark chapter 15, look at verse 29, those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Verse 31, in the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. So those even in that day around the cross were taunting him concerning and focusing in on his inability, his weakness and his helplessness to do anything for himself. I never liked the thought that Jesus is often pictured only on the cross. But at the same time, if we go back and examine more closely what the Scriptures actually record concerning Christ's death, I am sure that you will walk away with a different appreciation and a heightened understanding of this event, and even exclaim, maybe as you never have before, that Jesus was the most magnificent person who ever died. His death was nothing less than supernatural. And even in his death, Jesus always had the preeminence. I am indebted to theologians like A.W. Pink who brought out some of these thoughts 
and several other theologians who have focused in more closely on what was going on in, in the Gospels concerning these things. So, as you and I this morning stand beside the cross looking up at Jesus, once again, that you would conclude, like the Roman centurion in Mark chapter 15, if you just look at verse 39, when the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Now, that's an incredible statement. A Roman pagan who didn't believe any of these things, after the end, when it came to the end, he concluded that Jesus was God. And that what he saw on the cross that day could have not been accomplished other than a person who was more than a man. That's an incredible statement. But that's not always what you hear when it comes to this time of year and the death of Christ. So let us together be strengthened by the Scripture as we learn more and more about our Lord Jesus and may those who never, maybe you never even met or listened or considered what is going on in these passages, that you would come to the conclusion that Jesus truly was a unique person and that he is worthy to be listened to and obeyed and worshipped. We can be assured that he is the God-man, even in his death. And I pray that faith will be granted to you so that you may believe and be saved. And to those who already know him, that this morning that the Lord and Savior will be highly exalted in your view as never before, that your faith would be bolstered today by these scriptures. So I want you to consider this morning with me the supernatural strength of Christ's death what he was actually accomplishing on the cross while he was finishing the Father's will. And I want you to notice this morning six observations relating to Christ's death. First of all, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse number 17, to look, first of all, at Jesus' strength is really seen in his authority over death. This is what Jesus has always been saying all along the way. If you take your Bibles there and look at the Gospel of John, chapter 10, you'll see that it was Jesus who said that he had authority over death. In John 10, it says, For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Now, That is a very interesting construction in the original language. The word, the very word take, uh, means to grasp. This verb is in what they call the subjunctive mood. This mood indicates the relation of the action to reality, the objective possibility of someone laying down their life in death and taking it back up again is utterly impossible. It's almost a ridiculous thought. It has never happened before. No one has ever accomplished this before. So if someone could accomplish it, 
it must depend on certain objective factors. In other words, Jesus would need to be able to do something that was clearly never done before. He needed to be able to do something that was unheard of by any individual man who ever lived. It indicates also that Jesus would need to be greater and more powerful than the greatest leveler known to mankind. And the greatest leveler known to mankind is the power of death. Nobody can elude it. Nobody can get away from it. Everybody has an appointment with death. So for Jesus to claim that he has the ability that is able to overcome death and is greater than the most powerful force that is known to mankind is utterly incredible, this statement. That he is able to lay his life down and then take it back. Look at verse number 18 of John 10. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Now this means that Jesus was not powerless in the hands of his enemy. He was not dying in weakness or in defeat. It is saying here that Jesus had absolute authority. And to put it another way, Jesus had the freedom of choice and the right to act or decide in behalf of himself concerning death. In other words, he had absolute power in regard to death and in regard to life. Now, the only one in all the Word of God who has that is God, right? Now, without even saying He's God in this passage of Scripture, He's telling us He is God. Without turning there, there's another familiar situation and an example at the arrest of Jesus Christ. Remember in John 18, when they came to arrest Jesus? It says in Scripture, they answered uh, Him Jesus the Nazarene, he said to them, I am he. And of course, and Judas also who was betraying him was standing with him. So when he said to them, I am he, they all, the Bible says in the Gospel of John, drew back and fell to the ground. That means all the Roman army that came up with swords and clubs to get him, all that Jesus said was, I am, and they all fell down. Just showing, when Jesus uttered the title of deity, I am he. If they fell to the ground, well then they had no power to take Jesus unless he voluntarily gave himself to them. See, no person took his life from him. No person actually put him to death without his permission. And if they did, and they did, it was because he allowed them to. Now, 
That's to, to set the premise of the second thing as we look through the Gospels. And I want you to turn now to John chapter 19 and recognize Jesus' strength is seen in his command over his mental faculties while dying on the cross. Now, I want to mention along the way that the Roman crucifixion was the most brutal death that anyone could die because it was not immediate. It was dragged out over days. It was truly torture. So the person who was hung on a cross and crucified can feel the full impact of their sin and their crimes. That was the design of it. It was the worst of the worst type of death anyone could have. And they were helpless on the cross, those who were dying this kind of death of crucifixion. But in that, think of the Lord now on the cross and he begins to, uh, we begin to see the, the drama unfold in Scripture. And in John chapter 19, verse 28, we see the command that Jesus has over his mental faculties. It says, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the Scripture, said, I am thirsty. Now, in that passage of Scripture, we see the word knowing actually means that Jesus was right on schedule as to the fulfillment of the Scriptures, even by him saying, I am thirsty. His mind was unclear and clouded by terrible sufferings to the point of delusionment, right? No. The opposite is being said in Scripture. His mind was reviewing the entire scope of the prophetic word and checked each one off, one by one, even right up to this passage of Scripture. And he is quoting here Psalm 69 and verse 21 where it says, They also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So Jesus proclaimed, I am thirsty. He did it for what reason? That he would fulfill that passage of Scripture written in the Psalms about him on the cross on that day at that moment. Is that someone who is out of control? Is that someone who is being deluded and in such pain because of their suffering they've lost it in their mind and now they're delusional? Our Lord here has full possession of his mental faculties on every single point. All right. Look at verse number 30 of John 19. A third thing, Jesus' strength is seen in his control over his physical composure while dying. It says in verse number 30, notice in this passage of Scripture, In John chapter 30. Well, let let me back up for a minute. Keep your hand here in John chapter 30 and look back to Matthew chapter 7 because I wanted to bring something out before I, I get back to John chapter 19. But Matthew chapter 27, verse 46 and verse 50, that 
Jesus has full composure over his voice. If you notice in Matthew 27, verse 46, about the ninth hour, it says in verse 46, Jesus crying out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then look down at verse 50 of Matthew 27, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. And then, of course, something next happened. In this passage of Scripture, as far as his voice is concerned, he doesn't have a faint, weak voice at the end of him finally almost going to die. He has a very strong voice. He has a loud voice. And it's important to note that the last three hours of his life, Jesus demonstrated that he still possessed physical strength. He had not reached the point of utter exhaustion. His voice was strong and able to speak boldly and clearly, just like he did at the side of the tomb of Lazarus, where it's recorded in John 11, when he said these things at the side of Lazarus' tomb. He says, and he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. So Jesus was in full control. And instead of being conquered by death, he was willingly yielding himself to it and conquering it. The opposite is happening. Jesus is in full control of his mental faculties. He's in full control of his physical faculties. And even more so, he is in control of what no one is in control of except God, and that is his very soul his very spirit. And to see this, again, I want you to look back to John chapter 19. While you keep your hand there in Matthew, I'll head back there again, I think, one more time. John 19, at the end of verse number 30, and I'll read verse 30, he was in full composure also of his body movements. In John 19, verse 30, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And notice what's, what's recorded next. He bowed his head. He bowed his head. Now, again, our Lord's head did not just simply drop down helplessly because he was exhausted by the crucifixion and all that has taken place. No, His head did not fall like this. Jesus actually consciously and calmly and reverently bowed his head because whatever he had to accomplish as far as the physical realm in his death, he accomplished. In fact, remember John chapter 19, that that famous passage of Scripture that we use in evangelism. It says, and when he received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. That word tetelestai means to accomplish. He accomplished. He brought to an end. He completely accomplished because it's in the perfect. It's a perfect verb. Redemption. He paid the redemption price in full. It was at that point of completion when the job was done and all the sin 
and the wrath of God was paid for that he consciously bowed his head. It didn't fall down as if somebody had no control. See, that's our Lord. There's strength in his death. There's another thing in verse number 30, and it's the fourth thing that Jesus' strength is seen in his volitional power over his own spirit while dying. It says in verse 30, it says and he, at the last part of the verse, and he gave up his spirit. Matthew 27 says it like this, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That means that Jesus had volitional power over his spirit and that the immaterial part of his being, he had power over that, power over the point where your soul leaves your body at death. He was in full control over his own spirit. And at the precise moment, with the power of God, it says it this way in Luke. Luke records it like this. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit or I command my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So right at the last moment, Jesus, having authority over his spirit, commanded it to go into, uh, into the hands of the Father. Now, just showing again the strength of Christ's death. He wasn't laying there in, uh, in weakness. He wasn't laying there, uh, dying there helplessly. He was dying there in power. He was dying there in strength. He was accomplishing everything he had to right to his last breath. Now, that brings us to another point. A fifth Thing that Jesus' strength is seen in his prophetic fulfillment of his death. Look at John chapter 19, verse 31 through 37. Now, it's important to note before I read that, when reading this text, that Jesus was already dead. The two thieves on, at the end of the day were still alive. They all have been on the cross approximately about the same time. But I want you to notice what says, it says here in John 19, verse 31. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate for their legs to be broken and that they might be taken away. So on that particular high holy day, the legs of the, anybody who would be on the cross because of this holy day, the Sabbath coming, they were to break their legs so they can die. Well, Jesus is already dead. Look at verse number 32. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. Verse 33, but coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Now see, so death by crucifixion, though exceedingly painful, was usually a slow death. Some lingered two or three days before being completely overcome by exhaustion and ultimately dying of suffocation because they could no longer 
push themselves up to get, a, to get any air into their lungs. When you break the legs, it would just al- not allow them to do that, so they would ultimately suffocate very quickly. So really, the end of crucifixion was a death of suffocation. You couldn't get air anymore. You had no strength to do that. So for Jesus, though he, he's already been dead, only after six hours, this was not normal for a Roman crucifixion. That's unless Jesus voluntarily laid his life down himself. And that God was in full control of every detail so that it could be written and fulfilled from the Psalms and the prophets. Look at John 19, verse 34. It says, but the one, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Verse 35, and he who was, has seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. Verse 36, and these things came to pass to fulfill the scriptures. Not a bone of him shall be broken. Psalm 34 in verse number 20, and it says, And a certain another scripture, and they shall look on him whom they have pierced. So Jesus, right up to every single detail of his death, was all being taken care of by God. Everything that was spoken of him concerning his death was fulfilled right down to the last jot and tittle. Smallest letter. So, was he on the cross dying helplessly? With no one to rescue him? No, not at all. He was dying a death of strength and power. He was dying a death of accomplishment. And he was dying that death for everyone who would come and believe in him as Lord and Savior. Now, With that in mind, turn back to Matthew chapter 27, and I want to look at a last thing, a sixth thing, that Jesus' strength is seen in the power of this event over the natural and spiritual realms. In Matthew, he seems to record this portion of of the Lord's uh, death, and it says in Matthew 27, verse 51, actually three things are going on in this portion of scripture number one that jesus death broke open the way to god look what it says in matthew 27 51 and behold the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split so here in the word of god remember there was the holy place that no man could go into uh except once a year the high priest went with the blood of the animals to pour over the mercy seat. He was the only one who could go in to that part of the where was the presence of God, and outside was the, the most holy place, and then outside of that was the holy place. Jesus, what he did is that the thing that blocked man from going to God, he tore it open. So by Jesus' death, we can enter into the presence 
of God. In fact, in Mark, it's recorded like this. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the veil of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. Again, the same way. So according to the book of Hebrews, all true Christians have confidence to enter into his presence because Jesus broke open the veil by his death. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. It is come, coming to the mercy seat at any time, in any posture, in any place. It is a permit for believers to pour out their heart at all times before the Lord. So you see, you can't approach God with confidence and full assurance of faith by coming to Jesus Christ for salvation, and then after you become a believer, to have that boldness and confidence to come right into his presence without priests, without ceremony, without sacrifice, because Jesus becomes and is the high priest. He is the prophet. He is the king. He is the one who, of course, becomes the one who dies in the place of sinners. Hebrews puts it like this, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. So the flesh becomes the veil that now is sacrificed, and he breaks open this new way to God. So... Jesus Christ becomes our doorway, the entryway into the presence of the Father. He removes all the obstacles for his people so they can come into his presence. A second thing found in Matthew 27 is Jesus' death also broke open the grave and the power of death. In verse 52, it says the tombs were opened of Matthew 27, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, meaning this, that the Lord's death was not a tragedy that brought everything to an end. No, his death took the sting of death, which was the law, 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. It is by His death alone, that we can say that we're saved. Here is the message that preserves the truth of the gospel. That the sacrificial body and shed blood of Jesus Christ announces the only way to salvation. He destroys the power of death over all who would believe in him. See, his death was a death of strength. And then a last thing, in Matthew 27, verse 53, Jesus' death broke the strong grip and power of Satan. If you notice here in Scripture, in verse 53, nothing at all rocked the plans and the power of Satan more than his death and resurrection. See, if Jesus just died on the cross like a normal man, and he just died there like a man, there would be no salvation. 
he would have died just like anyone else would have died. It would have been a cruel death. It would have been a, a good story. But it, that's what it would have been it. But if you notice in verse 53, it says, And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many that at the death of Christ, tombs were broken open. And then after his resurrection, these bodies, people rose from the grave. They entered into the cities and appeared to many. That, that was, of course, an incredible event. We find a narrative, though, in Luke chapter 11, where it talks about the rulers have accused Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub. Remember that passage? By the prince of demons. And Jesus said to them, Jesus exposed their folly and says, listen, by saying, if Satan cast out demons in his kingdom, his kingdom would fall. Come on, doesn't make any sense. He was really turning their logic on its head. It says in Luke 11, verse 20, but I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed, but when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and disrupts and distributes his plunder. In other words... Jesus has come into the strong man's house and overpowered him. By his death and his resurrection, Jesus comes into the realm of Satan, right? Satan being the prince and power of the world, of the air, and he overpowers Satan. He takes his possessions away from him. And so you see, Jesus is a great disruption to the world controlled by Satan. It's changed everything. The death and resurrection of Christ has changed everything in Satan's plans. Jesus has come to plunder his kingdom, to overtake it. And all those who trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, it says in Scripture, they also will overcome. Overcome what? Overcome the world and its system controlled by Satan. Why? Because Jesus, the strong man, came into a strong man's house and overpowered him because he was stronger than him. And because of that, we can be saved. So, see, all of that because in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was Hebrews who records recorded this and he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of god waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet so no one could have authority over jesus but you see the great tragedy in life in this world in reality, is spiritual warfare. Have you come to understand that part of your Christian life yet? Have you come in contact with spiritual warfare yet? That the demons and Satan are not happy that you have been ripped out of his kingdom and taken to Christ's kingdom? 
He's not happy about that. And you bear the image of Christ, therefore you become his target, you become his enemy. And every test of faith, every attack of Satan that comes against you will test your faith as to who you are in Christ. It will show you how strong you have grown in truth. Everything that will come against you. See, spiritual warfare is a reality for any growing Christian. But the only ones aware of spiritual conflict are discerning believers because they are armed with truth. Those who are not Christians are unaware of this warfare because they are blind by sin and they love the darkness and are persuaded for the most part that all is well and do not realize the terrible doom that is awaiting them. Believers, on the other hand, understand that they have been rescued from the doom that's coming. They have been rescued from what is awaiting a lost and a dying world. And Satan wants to keep his constituents right there in darkness, blinded so they don't realize it. But remember, Jesus, the strong man, comes into his territory and is rescuing people every single day by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel is so centered to what we're to do as believers and what we're to say as believers. We live in a world when it comes to defining anything spiritual, it sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook. Instead, we need to believe and proclaim boldly and clearly that Christ is the only hope for people in the world. That's exclusive. That is narrow. And yet, it is the truth. And why? Just back up for a minute. Who could accomplish what Jesus accomplished on the cross? And I just skimmed the surface this morning on those passages without even going into detail, just to give you a sense that there was nothing helpless about what he did there. This was a strong man coming into the world, overtaking what Satan is trying to rob and destroy. Jesus' atoning, sacrificial death dealt with the the human problem. His death dealt with the problem of human sin. And in doing so, destroyed the work of the devil. And now, we are set free from the grasp that he had on us in our daily life. And now we can fellowship with our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, every single day. He's broke that grip upon it. It tells us that in 1 John that Christ protects us and he breaks the grip of Satan. He can't get us anymore. He's got paws without claws. He's got a growl without teeth. He's on a long chain. He just can't reach you. You know how your little kids, when you try to grab them, they just know how to stay just two inches away from you so you can't get a hold of them. Or your dog or your cat. They just know how to stay just far away from that. You can't get them. 
You've got to go run and chase them and tackle them. Well, Satan can't even run and tackle you, but he can tempt you. He can come against you. And the only defense we have is the truth. So if you are armed with truth, it's hard for him to get to you. It's hard for him to tempt you. It's hard for him to bring you into sin. It's hard for him to get you to doubt what it says in the Word of God as truth. It's hard for him to move you off the narrow path. Because you see it. You know it's the truth. You're convinced of it. That you've been in the world long enough to know there's a lot of lies out there, but this is the truth. And he can't move you from there. Now, with all that said, one other thing in Matthew 27, verse 54. And this is where really I started from. I started with the centurion in John chapter 19. This is just another way uh, Matthew recording it in, in his gospel that Jesus' death actually broke open the eyes of unbelieving Gentiles to see who he really was. In Matthew 27, verse 54, now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. That sounds like a pretty emphatic, absolute statement to me. That they were convinced that person that they saw hanging on the cross and the things that they heard in Jerusalem and the earthquake and all creation itself was groaning while Jesus was on the cross. And remember, it says in Romans chapter 8 that creation is groaning for redemption too because sin entered into the world. It's wrecked our world too. Our world is wearing out like an old garment. It's, it's starting to totter, you know? The whole universe is. That's why there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. Our whole creation is groaning for it all to be done. All right? And we're sealed unto what? The day of redemption by the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because even in ourselves, in 1 Corinthians, it tells us that we're, we groan in our bodies because of, of the physical limitations we have. Because we, we really desire in our spirit to be more holy than we are, but we're always held back by our flesh. We're held back by the world. We're held back by the lives of Satan. So we groan as we grow more in Christ to be like him, right? And we know we can't be fully like him until we drop off these bodies and we go into his presence and our soul, new body and our soul come together. Then we could worship him, praise him, and be like him. And it's going to be, of course, something we've always desired in our heart. That's where it's all heading. And that's how you really know you're growing in Christ. The gold, the world's gold is growing dim. All the things that you get thrown at you in the world, they don't have too much of an appeal to you anymore. You want to go home. You know? You know you keep your tent here and the pegs loosely in the ground and you're going to do the work that God wants you to do. You desire to do that. You want to please God. But ultimately, there's a groaning in your soul to want to be in his presence. That's a good thing. That's the kind of thing that's going to cause you to want to live a holy life. 
to want to please him. So brethren, tonight we have the Lord's communion table. When we faithfully gather to the communion table, we actually declare together to the community of the saints and to the world that God's way of forgiveness is through the death of his son. And there is no other way. We further declare the new agreement that God made with us and to his people and sealed and ratified that agreement with his own blood and sealed it. Jesus referred to the cup of wine in 1 Corinthians 11 in the same way he took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as you do it, you declare the death of Christ. That's what we're declaring. This is the only way to be saved. There's no other way. So the new covenant makes you fit to approach God and come into his presence and live with him ultimately eternally. And Jesus accomplished all that in strength on the cross for all who would believe. It was the supernatural strength of Christ's death which accomplished so great a salvation. So today you either have to come and be saved. Today you either have to come Secondly, and consecrate yourself to God for the rest of your lives and follow and serve your Lord, our Lord, Jesus Christ, to our, to our dying day. So I pray this morning that these things would ring in your heart and convince you further that what he accomplished there on that cross cannot be undone, could never be done again. And when it was done, it was done completely. There's no no going back over the plans to see if you miss something. And that's to me, and should be to you, great confidence and assurance that my salvation is secure in Christ Jesus, right? And I cannot lose it. No one can take it away from me. And so therefore, I rest in that. And I pray that you would too. During this time of year, let's pray. Lord, I ask you this morning, as we consider some of these observations, Lord, I pray that we would again ponder them in our own mind, in our own heart. And that, Lord, you would bolster our faith with them. For those who have not yet confessed you, Lord, please bring them to yourself. Convince them and show them that faith, and grant the Lord to them faith and repentance, that they may believe. Holy Spirit, that you may regenerate them and cause them to see so they can look and be saved. Please, Lord, save people that are still in darkness and in the kingdom of Satan and rip them out from his kingdom.
because you are stronger than him and bring them to your kingdom like you did with us. And I pray when we come into your kingdom, we know, Lord, the light of your kingdom illuminates us to know who you are, to see more clearly our sin and how sin has destroyed, and, Lord, also to know what you accomplished and where we're going. And I thank you this morning for that, Lord. Please make us stronger believers because of your word. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.